0: Well, good morning, Christ Chapel, and a special welcome to those of us uh, that are on the online campus. Thank you so much for for joining us and being with us today. What a privilege it is to be able to open up the Word of God with you. What a privilege. The year was about 1948. The man huddled on the cabin floor was uh, slowly freezing to death. It was in the Rockies, southwestern Alberta, Canada, outside a blizzard raged. John Elliott, a member of the Alberta Canada Forest Service, had been out uh, logging miles that day, checking for avalanches, and as exhaustion began to set in and it began to get a little bit uh, dark, he decided to hole, hole up for the night. So he made it to his cabin. somewhat dazed with fatigue and cold, he didn't light a fire didn't remove his clothing. and As the blizzard continued to rage outside, he, the ranger kind of sat, sank into an oblivion, kind of paralyzed by some of that blizzard that was outside. Suddenly his dog sprang into action, and with unrelenting effort began to nudge John, nudged his near comatose friend, the the dog was John's constant companion, the St. Bernard named Tiny. John wrote, he said, by the time I reached the cabin, I was covered with snow. I cut the wire, suspending two mattresses hanging from the rafters, and I dropped onto the mattress to rest. But presently from afar off, something was pushing me, it kept pushing me and nudging me until I realized that Tiny was pushing her muzzle under my head, trying to raise me up. I was stiff with cold, my hands were like claws, and I had great difficulty even striking a match to get the fire going, even with the pre-cut kindling that was left in the cabin. If that dog hadn't been with me, I'd be dead today, John wrote. You know, when you're freezing to death, you actually feel warm all over. You don't wake up because it feels too good. The nation of Israel needed a nudge by God. They needed to be nudged back into life. Here they were a diverse remnant of God's people returning from the exile. They were probably frustrated, depressed, angry, despondent. However, God was at work nudging that nation back to life bringing them back into the land of fulfillment out of his covenant promises. He was restoring his name among the nations. He was rebuilding the dependence of those people upon himself as he said, watch me work, watch me work. God was busy nudging his people awake to the reality that he was still working. Unfortunately, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel was pretty lethargic cold, oblivious to God at work in their lives. They needed a little nudge to bring them back to temple worship and bring them back to putting God first. You know, sometimes we all need a little nudge like that, don't we? Wake us up out of our sleepy stupor It's easy only to begin to focus in on what's happening on the surface and we don't begin to see the bigger picture of what might be happening around us. I fail to see the purpose in this pandemic. I fail to see the purpose in the cancer, the job loss, the loss of a relationship. I fail to see the purpose of why God's moving me here or moving me there. I fail to see the purpose of the death of that loved one. Lord, my world seems to have unraveled around me. What's God doing? Maybe we've even become a little spiritually lethargic and maybe even a little indifferent towards God. Freezing to death and not even know that it's happening to us. Lulled into a comfortable new set of normal self-survival, losing sight that God might still be at work in my life. It's easy to focus on self and take our situation too far and take our eyes off of God. But this isn't really about you. It's it's about him. The situation doesn't change the way that I think about God. But what I know about God changes the way that I think about the situation. God is still at work despite the impossible situations that we find ourselves in. And sometimes God nudges his people awake to the reality that he is still at work. Sometimes the methods that he uses are fairly drastic. But it's always for our good. Let us not imagine that because he shakes us, that he hates us. He wakens us from our spiritually, spiritual dullness because He loves us. Some years ago, I entered a hospital room and the individual looked at me and I introduced myself as a hospital chaplain at that particular time. And the person looked at me and said, why is God doing this to me? Well, first, what makes you think that God's doing this to you? But secondly, you know, there, there might be more going on here than you're able to see. The fact of the matter is, is we may never this side of heaven fully understand everything that's going on. However, God is still at work bringing glory to his name, still at work accomplishing his purpose. He is still sovereign. He is still in charge. When we come to the section of Nehemiah today, we see that God is at work. God is at work building up his people to faith in in response to the covenant promises that he made long ago. The book of Nehemiah was written to a bunch of exiles that came back wavering in their relationship with God. And Nehemiah was written to encourage that remnant to come back to temple worship, come back to trusting him, to remind them to fulfill their covenant obligations, to come back and trust, depend upon him because he's still at work. However, the people were... Spiritually cold, lethargic towards God. But even in the midst of their faithfulness, unfaithfulness, God was working. God's not just interested in building a wall. He wants to build a wall because of his reputation. He wants to build a wall, but God's interested in building up his reputation within his people. Turn, if you will, to the book of Nehemiah, if you haven't already. You're going to need your Bible. None of the passages are going to come up on the screen, so you, you will need your Bible. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, I want to highlight not only what God was doing in their life, but make it applicable to us. We're continuing in our book study of the book of Nehemiah, rebuilding what God's doing. You remember in the southern kingdom of Judah, it was taken captive by the Babylonians in 586. After the Medes and Persians uh, conquered the Babylonians in 539, the Israelites began to move back. And so in 538, Zerubbabel comes back with a group of 50,000 people, begins to rebuild the temple. Later on, Ezra in 458 brings a group of about 5,000 people back, but they find Israel in a state of spiritual and moral decline. What's happened is the people had intermarried with the unbelievers, and they were worshiping pagan gods. But due to Ezra's teaching them, the majority kind of came back towards God at that time. After 14 years, now Nehemiah comes back with another group of about 40,000 people, primarily to rebuild the walls, because the walls really symbolize God's reputation. The people were ridiculing the nation of Israel and saying, where is this God? He can't even protect you. There's no walls here. Who is this God of yours, as you say, is so great? And so Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the walls. And now in Jerusalem, there's at least 95,000 Israelites there. But they were probably frustrated and they were probably depressed, angry, despondent over what had all happened. Remember, Ezra had tried to rebuild the walls until some people complained to the king and the stop and the work had to stop. But God, but God had been in work at the beginning. He raised up Zerubbabel, raised up Ezra, raised up Nehemiah, a cupbearer, to come back into the land. Nehemiah even remembers with God's words to Moses when he, in, verse, in chapter one, verse nine, he says, you know though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of, the, of heaven, from there I will gather them. I will bring them back to the chosen land. Lord, you said that, that you were gonna bring them back. We need to trust you. In 2.17, he says, come, let us build the wall so that we will no longer suffer ridicule, derision ridicule and mockery. 2.20, Nehemiah cries and he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. God was at work. God was still at work. Being faithful to his covenant, rebuilding his reputation, restoring his people. And so now we come to chapters three and four. And Nehemiah recounts the rebuilding of the walls and the revival of the people, but it's not just a recounting of historical events. It's got a theological purpose. Because it it demonstrates God's faithfulness to his covenant promises to post-exilic Israel. He's saying, I'm still at work. God begins to nudge his people awake to that reality. I am still working. So what is God doing? Well, one, first, he's doing two things, but first he's at work restoring his people to accomplish his purpose. Restoring his people to accomplish his purpose. He's at work bringing his people together, unifying his people to accomplish and bring glory to his name, to demonstrate that he still has the authority and the right to rule. And God rallies his people together with a common mission that mission to. Rebuild that wall. And let me just summarize chapter three for you because chapter three initially looks like a, a long list of irrelevant gates and irrelevant names of people working on the gate. Let me just give you an example. If you put your eyes down to chapter three, verse 30, because it just gives you an example of what chapter three is like. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shallumiah and Hanan, the sixth son of Zaleph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. And you go, oh my, oh my the workers were working in chapter three on 10 gates. There's a slide that's going to come up. They start really at the sheep gate at the northern part of of the city. And systematically in chapter three, you go counterclockwise around all of those gates as to who's working. You see that the sheep gate, and then you move to the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, the inspection gate. But God was working. God was working to accomplish his purpose. Notice notice in your, in your, in your text some of the features of what, what, what happened. They all work together. Verse 17 after him, the Levites repaired. Verse 18, after him, their brothers repaired. Verse 19, next to him, Ezra. Verse 20, after him, Baruch. Verse 21, after him, Meramoth. I mean, after him, after him. 31 times we see after him, after him, next to him, next to him. No less than 42 crews were all working. They were all working together. And they did the work in verse 28, they did the work nearer to them, each one opposite his own house. Maybe that gave the workers some incentives to really be able to be invested in the the wall that was really close to them. They came from a variety of backgrounds. We saw in verse, verse 38 there, it says, 32, I mean, goldsmiths and merchants repaired. I mean, we had priests and goldsmiths and Butchers and bakers and candlestick makers. I mean, they were all there. They were all working. They were ordinary people out of their professional element. If those amateurs could rebuild the wall in 52 days, we should be able to complete and work together to be able to accomplish what God wants in our lives as well. But notice also he gives credit to each individual contribution not only the, all of the names after him, after him, all of the names I love what happened in verse 20 it says after him Baruch the son of Zabai." Baruch it says zealously repaired in the new American standard in the NIV zealously repaired, I don't know why the ESV leaves it out but the word is there, it means burned with zeal burned with zeal. You see, God takes notice of each individual's contribution. He knows what's going on. He sees the heart. He sees Baruch, and he makes mention of it right there. But also notice that the strength of the whole is in direct proportion to the strength of each individual part. There were no parts that were more important than the other part. All of the gates were important. All of the wall was important. You have a bunch of ordinary people doing extraordinary work under the leadership and guidance of God himself. God rallies his people together with a kind of mission. They needed each other. You know, we still need each other. I read a story this, this past week It kind of brought a smile to my face. It was about a woman who telephoned a friend and asked her friend how she was feeling. Friend goes, terrible. My head's splitting, my back and my legs are killing me. The house is a mess. The kids are simply driving me crazy. Caller says, you know, well, listen. Hey, listen, go lie down. I'll come over right right away, cook lunch for you, clean up the house, take care of the kids, and you get some rest. And by the way, how's Sam doing? Lady on the other end of the phone, Sam? I don't don't have a, my, my husband's name's not Sam. Lady goes, oh my goodness, I must have dialed the wrong number. It's a long pause. But are you still coming over? You see, we all need some help sometimes. For that the lady, there was a glimmer of hope. God rallies these people together to accomplish this purpose, but he also revives his people to be able to do that. Verse 6, so we built the wall in chapter 4. So we built the wall for the people had a mind to work. The people had, were faced with an impossible task, impossible circumstances. Goldsmiths, merchants, priests, all coming together. Nehemiah himself, a cupbearer. But God gave them a mind to work. You know, we as a church have been given a mission. We as the bride of Christ has a commission. It's called the Great Commission. It's to go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. And we have a wonderful opportunity, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of everything else that's going in our lives, to continue to reach out to the lost and reach people for Jesus Christ. The need is great, but our message of hope that's found in the good news about Jesus Christ goes past all of these circumstances, goes past all of these situations, goes past the pandemic. Jesus Christ is the one who's going to be able to last through it. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We do have a systemic problem in this world, and it's called sin. Sin is the problem, and no man-made solution to that problem is available. It's only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we might have life by believing in Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to a holy God. The Great Commission is really an impossible task for just one. But together, it's going to take everyone working together to be able to accomplish that mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's God doing? Well, he's at work restoring his people to accomplish his purpose. He still is. He's nudging his people awake to the reality that he's still at work. But he's also, too, he's also demonstrating his faithfulness even in the midst of difficult circumstances in chapter four. God continues to work to deepen his people's dependence upon upon him. Let me just summarize what's going on in chapter four for you the people faced some very, very difficult trials in verses 1 through 14. First off, they were ridiculed by their critics. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps? Then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, they're building, building, and even if a fox goes up, he's going to break down their stone walls. In other words, their building is so decrepit and weak that a weight of a fox would be able to break it down. They couldn't resist the ridicule the Jews. But interesting, in verses 4 and 5, what's Nehemiah's answer to that? It's prayer. He goes back and prays. But then they had an external threat in verses 7 through 9. Sanballat and Tobiah, they they make a, a conspiracy to not only bring physical force against the people working on the walls. Hey, we see what they're doing. We're going to attack them. Conspiring for open warfare against the Jews. What's Nehemiah do? Verse 9, he prays. He prays. But then there was discouragement among the workers. Verse 10. Judas said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. There was an attitude of defeatism. We aren't going to be able to do this. But notice verse 14 that Nehemiah points his eyes back. To the Lord it says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. You see, a proper view of God, a proper view of God puts all these difficulties back into perspective. We begin to focus in on the circumstances and we forget that God is at work. And Nehemiah directs her attention back to God. Hey, look, I know it looks bad. We got ridicule. We got criticism. We got open warfare. Look to the Lord. He's still at work. He's still at work. And the people in verses 15 through 23 respond in dependence upon God, faith and dependence upon God. Nehemiah kind of sets up a civil defense program for his people in verses 15 through 23. It was organized by families. He said, you know, points his eyes towards the Lord. But half of Nehemiah's servants became guards in 15 and 16. The builders started to carry weapons. In other words, in verse 17, each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other hand. A trumpet signal was set up as a warning system. The people began to work in shifts in verse 21. And it was decided that everyone was going to remain inside the city while the work was being completed. In summary, the opposition that they faced was overcome by faith and hard work. Verse 20, God will fight for us. And verse 21, so we carried on the work. That faith in what God is doing sustained them through all of the heartaches that they were experiencing. What's God doing? He's still at work. He's restoring his people. He's demonstrating his faithfulness. See, God builds up his people as God's people depend upon him and get involved in his work. God's nudging his people awake to the reality that he's still there. You say, so what does this mean for me? You know, whatever you're facing right now, pandemic, fear, cancer, job loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, anger, depression, loneliness, discouragement, whatever it is, God is still at work. I go back to verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. Because that's really where the application is. Look at what it says. It says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. And fight for your brothers. Get to work. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. And get involved in his work. Don't be afraid. God's still in control. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you, in Hebrews. You know, fear can paralyze you. Fear can bring you to a stop. If you focus on your circumstances, you become overwhelmed and you just kind of slink into a frozen death, lulled into that comfortable warm spot that you don't even know that you're drifting away. Don't be afraid. Maybe today's a little nudge for you. Nudge you awake to God's still working. Taking a step forward towards God, not just freezing to death in the storm. Need a little nudge to get up and maybe warm yourself by the fire of the fellowship that is there. Maybe you need to get nudged out of your comatose state and come back to Bible study. Maybe you need a little nudge to share your fear with God. A close brother or sister in Christ. God's still working. Isaiah 41.10, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Secondly, remember the Lord. Lift up your eyes from your circumstances and focus upon the Lord. A proper view of God brings things into into reality. This was the battle cry for the nation in verse 14. God maybe is using these circumstances in your life to reevaluate some priorities. God may be using these to for you to take pause and take stock of what's really important in life. You know, last week, uh, Cody used a football illustration, which is very appropriate for the day, where he encouraged all of us to remain in the pocket. If you remember last week, you know, the quarterback, when he gets the ball, he goes back to pass, the linemen kind of form a pocket. And sometimes that pressure from the pocket gets... Gets so much the quarterback makes a decision that he's going to exit the pocket and take things under his own control. Cody was reminding us hey, maybe we need to remain in the pocket of prayer. Remain in the pocket just a little bit longer. Oftentimes we want to take control of the situation. We, We say, I know better. Remember the Lord. God is good in Nahum 1 7. God is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Take refuge in the pocket. Take refuge in him. Remember the Lord. Continue to put your eyes back on him. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond to this with panic and do things in the flesh, or are you going to come back to relying upon the Lord Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and get involved in his work. Get involved in his work. Remember the Lord and fight. Get involved. They held held a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. Get involved in what God's doing. You know, the nation of Israel faced some impossible challenges and impossible tasks, but they came together as a as a body, they came together as a community. And that strength that came together was in direct proportion to the strength of the individual parts. We all need you. We all need each other. You know, this pandemic has probably nudged us a little to show us how maybe we were all a little ill-prepared for isolation. came dependent upon other people too much, maybe. But we also realize how much we need each other. There's many ways to be able to get involved that just have to take that first step. Just have to take that first step. Maybe God is nudging you. Don't be afraid, remember the Lord, get involved in his work. God builds up his people as God's people. Depend upon him and get involved in his work. God nudging his people. Awake to that reality that he's still working. Maybe he's nudging you this morning. Take your eyes off the circumstances. Place them back on the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are not caught off guard by anything that is happening to us. We thank you that You are able to use all of this stuff in our life to continue to bring honor and glory to your name. Father, may we continue to rely upon you. May we continue to trust in you. May we depend upon you for all of the circumstances that we have. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted That you, by our actions, would be demonstrated to a world that right now is frantically looking for answers that we would be able to continue to point others back towards you and to that rest that's found in trusting and walking with you moment by moment and day by day. Thank you for your words in Nehemiah. May we rest in you for we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.